All right. So, as we've stated several times in um, these the the book of Romans, it is written not in verse form or in um, in chapter form. It is all written uh, as a letter, and so it continual move to it and so we break it down into sec sections so that we can digest it easier and it, it would be a lot uh, obviously to go through uh, an entire the entire book at one time uh, we wouldn't have that amount of time and to really grasp what Paul's trying to say we slow it down and we uh, we take sections of his letter um, at a time, but they inter, they intertwine. Okay, so when we look at Romans six uh, and verses fifteen through nineteen, it's that section is stemming from what he said uh, in previous verses. Just like we went over in the beginning of Romans uh, six. Uh, is stemming from what he's the statement he made at the end of chapter five. Okay, so in that we come to Romans fifteen through nineteen, but we must start at Romans fourteen. This is probably one of the most misunderstood, misused verses. What we want to stop and really focus on uh, a minute is. Um, how we should use Scripture, okay? So, Paul, in verse, um, and we're going to start here in verse 15, it says, what then? Okay, what is what then referring to? Why is Paul asking the question he does in verse 15? So, you're blank there. What, what would stem him to ask that question? It stems from verse 14, okay? So, Paul is asking a question uh, based upon the statement he made, assuming that this was going to be the question asked. It's the same exact thing that he did in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Well, why did he ask that? Or why, did he, why is he uh, assuming they're going to ask this question? Well, it's because of what he said in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5. It's the same thing he's doing here in verse 15. He's assuming that they're going to come up with this question or this mindset. Because in verse 14 it says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are no longer uh, under law, but under grace. Okay, probably one of, the, like I said, one of the most misused, misunderstood statements in Scripture. Uh, and it's very prevalent in our world today uh, that we see um, this misunderstood. Has anyone ever been around um, someone that has misinterpreted this this verse, verse 14. Yeah, that's often what it's used. And what we do, what we love to do as uh, humans is go and grab one verse and make it our life verse, right? My life verse is Romans 6.14. I no longer have to live under the law because I live under grace so I can live however I want because grace is there to make up for it. Well, if you take the verse just by itself, it's what it means, right? But you can't do that. It's just like taking, uh, uh, like uh, people take sections out of a letter, right, that you've written. And you say, well, you said this. Well, read the whole letter. What did I actually say? So our media loves to do that to people, right? They take a portion of an interview and they put that out as that was the whole interview. You know, I hate black people. Well, that's not what the person said, right? But they're going to make it say that this person is racist and so on and so forth. 
that's not the context of what he was saying. And I just made that up. But um, that's what often happens is we take what someone says and not in the full context. And so Paul is making sure that we understand the full context of what he's saying about we are no longer under the law, but under grace, okay? Right. Or, or the word law. Yes, for sure. They don't understand really either word, right? Or the purpose of the law or the purpose of grace. But this is good ammunition or this is good... Um, things for us to have in our uh, knowledge bank of when we go into a conversation with somebody and they bring this up. You don't want to be fumbling over your words when someone says, well, doesn't the Bible say we don't live under the law anymore? We live under grace, so we should be able to live however we want. You don't want to be, uh, well, no. Well, that's not a... That's not a Right, that does not help the conversation. Well, no. No, you've got to be able to say, well, no, Scripture says actually this. All right, and so Scripture up in verse number 12 says what? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, that's what helps us put everything in context. How can Paul say we're no longer under the law, but under grace, but in the same, and, and mean that in the fact that we can live however we want, but in two verses earlier, it says we should not let sin reign in our bodies. Okay? So, the, everything in context. But Paul is understanding through, obviously, the inspiration of Christ that people are going to uh, take verse 14 and blow it way out of context the same way that they were going to do it with, uh, should we sin so that grace can increase? Should I sin so that God's grace can be more evident? And obviously we won't re-go over that because we already have, but it's the same type argument Paul is bringing out here in verse 15. Okay, And that's what, in your second blank there, where else does Paul ask this question? It is in verse number 1. Okay, It's the same thought process, same idea, two different thoughts of grace, uh, but one is, should we sin so that grace can increase, so that we can make God's love for us shine even more? Paul says, absolutely not. And then he says here in verse 15, what then shall we be, uh, shall we, who is the we? Who's the we? Believers, okay? It's important that we understand that, right? This isn't talking about humanity. This is talking about believers. Paul is writing specifically to believers. What then shall we, Christians, sin because we are no longer, or uh, because we are not under law, but under grace? Okay, that is the question that he is anticipating that is going to come. Uh, and he doesn't give much time in, uh, give me another paper, it doesn't give much time in, uh, let it elapsed before he gives the answer, right? What is, verse 14, he's asking this question or posing this question because of what he said in verse 14. And he did the same thing in verse 1 because of the end of verse 5. Okay. So, <clears throat> uh, shall we sin because we are not under the law? What, uh, what type of sin is Paul referring to here? In verse number 15, what type of sin is Paul referring to? It doesn't give a type, so this, you're going to have to kind of think about the, the, the scenarios we're talking about, and uh, this is to believers, and so believers, we still sin, right? So 
when it says, uh, should we sin because we are not under law? Well, everyone sins on purpose. <laughs> right? Is there accidental sins? Maybe, but... Okay. But we all sin. So, Laura? Habitual sin. Ongoing. Continual. Okay? It's the, the thought of someone that struggles um, uh, with um, alcoholism and is constantly drunk um, that habitual constant going back to that or sexual sin or um, you know in, any kind of sin that is habitual and that you cannot that you constantly run to all right Christian's life should not be known as one that is in a constant habitual sin all right that that is uh, what uh, this verse is referring to. All Christians will sin. All si Christians will sin every day. The difference that is brought out here is that sin that you don't want to let go of and that you hold on to and it's habitual and uh, that's one that I don't want to let go of. Okay, That's the idea given here. Should we habitually continue sinning because we're not under the law but under grace, may it never be. Okay, that's as emphatic as you can get. It could not be any more emphatic in how Paul states that. We, you know, we read it very mildly, but Paul is saying there, this is a complete and utter nonsense uh, way of thinking, that we should sin because we're no longer under law, but under grace. Okay? So your next or your blanks there are habitual or in continue. It is a habitual, continual sin. All right. Are we still under the law as Christians? Yes. Well, there we go. We had two correct answers. Yes and no. All right. Now we're confused, aren't we? Okay, are we still under the law as Christians? The answer is yes and no, all right? So you have three blanks there, uh, six blanks, I guess, total. But um, what type of laws do we find in the Old Testament? Okay, ceremonial, that's your first law. Ceremonial law, okay? Now, what do we know about the ceremonial law? It was for Israelites. Okay. What else do we know uh, present day about the ceremonial law? Is that relevant or non-relevant? Okay. Christ, there's your blank. Okay, that's your next blank right there. Across from um, ceremonial law of... Uh, Fulfilled through Christ, okay? So the ceremonial law, all of that was encompassed and pointing to Christ, and Christ fulfilled it. So we are no longer obligated under the ceremonial law, okay? So what, um, does everybody, that makes sense to everyone, right? The ceremonial laws, we know what those encompassed, right? Okay, sacrifices, the, the feasts, um, you know, all of those type, dietary type laws, all of that stuff was gone away with because Christ uh, has fulfilled that. And so because we live in Christ, he is the one who has fulfilled the, or the yeah, ceremonial laws. All right, the next law that we see, there's three of them. The next one is what? No, well, yes, but that's the third one, so, um, so, spoiler alert, the third one is moral, okay, so what's the second one? So you have ceremonial, you have civil, civil law, okay, civil law, that goes to, that's for the Israelite nation as well, it was to teach them how to live as a nation. Remember, uh, I don't know 
if everyone was in my class. I taught a class on uh, this a while back, but we taught about why Israel, and I think it, it might have been in Romans. I don't know. But anyways, the, the ceremonial law was given to the Romans because they, I mean, to the Israelites because they were under captivity for 400 years. And they lived under Egyptian law and, and that, and they really didn't have a law on how to live. They lived as slaves under the Egyptians for 400 years. So when God brought them out and became their own nation, he gave them a set of laws to live by. And, the, and this is the civil law. So how to treat your neighbor. Uh, we, uh, maybe it was when we were preaching through Deuteronomy. That's probably when it was uh, that we brought this out. <clears throat> so um, God gave them all kinds of laws, um, ser- uh, civil on how to treat one another. Okay? Uh, does that apply to us today? The answer is that the moral law and the civil law have overlap. They overlap in, in some of their functions. Okay, so the moral or the civil law, uh, there's things that we still obey today in that law because they're right. Right? We don't steal our neighbor's property. We don't. You know, we we treat each other with right and respect and so on. As Christians, the civil law and the moral law overlap one another, okay? So that part of that aspect of the law, not everything in the civil law applies to us, but there is overlap, all right? So that part of the law does apply. So that's where the yes, are we still under the law? That's where the yes comes in. We're not under the ceremonial law because Christ has already taken care of that. That's where the no is. But the yes would be under the civil and the moral law. Okay, how would we explain uh, in a, just two words, <clears throat> if you could, the moral law? How would you explain that in two words? That's not the two words I have, but those are that. It's the same. That's the same concept that I have. Okay. God's character, okay? Moral law is God's character. And that will never change. God's character never changes. And so to say that we're no longer under the law would make no sense, would it? Because then we would know the law encompasses, when we say the law, paper, when we say the law, we refer to all three aspects of it, typically, right? And so, uh, when we state that, and we say the law, we're stating all three aspects, and so we no longer live under it, that that would not be a correct understanding of what Paul is uh, getting at in verse number 14, okay? What is Paul really driving at when he says we're no longer under the law but under grace? Okay? He's not saying that we can live however we want because that would nullify the moral law and allow us to live outside of God's character. And how would God be pleased with us if we are constantly living outside, purposely living outside of his character? Any comments or thoughts on that? Yeah, so not being under the law is we are no longer under what? The penalty of the law. Okay, and I don't have a blank there for that. But uh, we are no longer under the penalty given out by the law. Okay, because God is, or Christ, through Christ, fulfilled and has taken that penalty upon himself. So for us that believe in him, we no longer are under the law of the penalty. Everyone uh, that is not a believer is under the penalty of the law. The Old Testament law penalty that says you cannot live uh, a, you cannot live outside of that law as far as you are going to you have to live with inside that law and fulfill every aspect of it, or you're going to be condemned, correct? 
That's, out, that's every non-believer. Those that have trusted Christ, uh, Christ has paid for that, and we no longer live under that penalty. So in verse 14, he says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you no longer live under the penalty of, of the law, but under grace. Okay? We no longer live under that. It's not talking about we no longer live under the moral or the civil part of the law. And that would make no sense. Okay? We live under God's character law still. Okay? Ten Commandments. All right? Ten Commandments uh, are what's often brought up and should be. But there's lots of moral laws throughout the New or throughout the Old Testament that are brought into the New Testament um, in multiple places. All right? Nowhere do we find that honor God or keeping God first is nullified anywhere. Do we, do we see that? No. That is, okay, honoring your parents. Where do we see that? We see that in multiple chapters or multiple books in the New Testament as far as honoring your parents. That's in there. Lying, stealing, cheating. That's, we all know that's something that a Christian shouldn't do. We find that in the moral law of the Old Testament, okay? Yes. Right, and that's why I said that it has overlap. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we would like to, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in this, in the civil law, when you see the thing is, is we have to study it, and we, as Christians, it God shares light on. You know, what part of these are still, and, and uh, just in our own wisdom, we can see what part of the civil law still applies today and what doesn't. We don't take uh, our law in our own hands and stone someone that's done adultery or whatever. So there's God's moral law is really for the Israelites. We have to understand that the ceremonial, uh, civil, and moral law to the Israelite was all moral. They were all moral. They, had, they were all had a moral value to it because they had to live that way, right? As Christians in today, we definitely agree that the moral law is 100% to be followed, and there's overlap. There's aspects of the civil law that still apply to us today, um, but we, have, you know, we, we can look at that and say, this one doesn't and this one does. Um, but you have to do that with a biblical correct lens. You can't do that looking at it, well, I don't like that one, so it doesn't apply, okay? Um, but, you know, being careful, I just I wanted to make sure that we didn't say the civil law no longer applies at all because that wouldn't make sense because there's a lot of stuff in the civil law that does apply to us today, and that's where I, I made the statement it overlaps. It has an overlapping with the moral law. It, it does, there are some aspects of the civil law that still apply to us today. Yeah. Okay. But the law, when it says we're no longer under it, make sure you make the distinction that we're no longer under that penalty of the law. We're no longer enslaved to the penalty of that law as believers, okay? We still uh, obey the moral aspects of the law because that is a part of God's character and he would not do away with that, okay? Any other thoughts or questions on verse number 15? 16 through 19 um, are all kind of crunched together. Uh, actually, we're going to talk. Actually, we're we're going to continue on verse fifteen here for a few more minutes. What does it mean to be under grace? What does it mean to be under grace? We should be able to cover this in just a few seconds. It's not very deep. It's a pretty shallow topic, you know. <laughs> okay. So, what does it mean to be under grace, Dean? 
What do we say? Okay, that's one aspect. We have God's undeserved favor or unmerited favor. Okay, it means the same thing, unmerited, undeserved favor. When we are under grace, we have God's undeserved favor, which frees us from that penalty of the law. Okay? So we live under grace, and we no longer live under the penalty of the law. Okay, and that's your second blank there. We no longer live under the penalty of the law. Very, very important uh, understanding of grace and, and the law, how, how it works. And that we don't want to just overlook it as just a statement and move on. Uh, Paul understands the importance that we don't look at the law as null and void. And we can now, because we have the covering of grace, can live however we want. It is not the freedom to sin. And why do we believe Paul would make such an emphasis out of this and so sternly uh, rebuke anyone that was thinking that? Why, why do you think Paul would really make a stern rebuke with saying, may it never be at the end of verse 15 uh, on this idea of we, we can live how we want because we live under grace? Yeah, the, the, the sacrifice given uh, f- for the, the penalty of our sin uh, to make a mockery of sin is uh, an utter slap in the face of God, right? To make sin okay because of what Christ has done for you is a complete mockery to God of, of grace, it's a complete misuse of grace. The same idea that he's giving in, in verse 1 there. Okay? We shouldn't sin, so grace increases. Complete misunderstanding, misuse of grace is to continue sinning so that grace can be more edified, or more glorified. All right? The same idea here. We don't, we don't have the license or the freedom to live however we want because we now live under grace. Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's not just, it's, Paul's not writing this, or if, if he were to actually be there speaking to them, he wouldn't be saying, you know, should we no longer sin because we live under the law, but under grace? May it never be. That's not what he, he's, he's really emphatically saying, absolutely not, people. If you have this thought process, you, you, you're, you've lost some marbles, okay? This is, this is not something that you should even consider in your thought process. And if you are, come talk to me afterwards, all right? That's the emphatic point Paul is making here, saying, may it never be said that we should continue in sin because we're under grace. Absolutely not. And then he gives, he doesn't just end there and then moves on. He wants to make sure we fully understand what he's driving at. And so he gives this analogy between 16 and 19, really to the end of the chapter. Um, but hopefully Dean will be able to teach this next week. Um, his wife, you know, she has this big bump and she might be getting rid of it soon. So um, we're not sure if... If he'll be around next week. But if he is, Dean gets the privilege of teaching 20 to 23, uh, which is a great section. But so 15, uh, or six, verse 16 through the end of the cha- or chapter there kind of all go together. Uh, but we're going to just tackle 16 through 19 here. Okay, and it gives an analogy uh, here. So someone would like to read 16 uh, through 19, and then we'll kind of pull it apart. Okay, and remember, what is chapter numbers six through eight uh, focusing on? 
Sanctification. Okay, so Paul is driving that. That is the driving force between what he's saying here. All right, and so uh, at the top of your paper there, it says we are slaves. Okay, um, the the thing that people often want to say is, well, we're slaves to sin and we're freed under Christ. True to the fact that you're freed from sin to be enslaved under Christ. So humans are never not a slave. You're enslaved in one of two ways. And Paul spells that out here. You're either slaves to, well, I'll get down to that here in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. What does it mean to be a slave? There's no blank here. I just want to have some conversation. Okay, what does it mean to be a slave? Okay, you're you're slave to your master. You're obedient to your master. Do we know what the difference between slaves in the uh, the Old Testament and really into the New Testament and modern day Western culture slaves? Do we know what the difference is? Was slavery in the Old Testament always a bad thing? Was there slavery in the Old Testament that was a bad thing? Okay, so there's two different kinds of slaves. One kind of slave that the Bible does not prohibit or says it is wrong is what? The kidnapping or stealing of someone and selling them into slavery. All right, this is not an okay form of slavery in Scripture. Okay. Uh, never do we see that. We see, do we do see the capture of uh, people uh, and them being put into slavery to keep them from uprising. We do see that, okay? But that is in a war uh, atmosphere and they're in the slaves so that they don't up, uprise. It's not that they went and conquered another nation to bring them to be slaves uh, as we did um, here in the United States and you know, around the world uh, in, in more recent history where we would go over in slave ships for the only purpose is to steal people to force them into slavery. Uh, scripture does not uh, pro uh, prohibit or allow or give allowance for that. So what is the other form of slavery that Scripture is okay with? To pay off a debt. Right. Okay. So you would, uh, you would rack up a certain amount of debt and you couldn't pay it. And so you would sell yourself to a person uh, that you typically that you were in debt to uh, as their slave uh, to pay off a debt. Okay. Um, uh, another form of slavery would be there was no, oh, there's not a, uh, in, in a lot of areas, there was no jail system, okay? And so if you were to commit a crime or a penalty, you were often put into slavery to pay for the, the crime that you paid. So that was another way that slavery was uh, understood in, in Old and New Testament, okay? Um, so that's, that's what we see the difference uh, in our modern translations. If you look back uh, at verse number 1, Paul really drives the, the, the focus of this book uh, and wants to make everyone understand uh, what he is. And it says there in verse number 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, okay? The word bondservant here is a poor translation. The word truly is the same word as it's talked about here in, ver in chapter 6. It's, it is slave. It should be translated Paul a slave of Jesus Christ. But a lot of times because the word slave in modern, uh, modern day has such a bad connotation to it that some, sometimes they, they use a less um, intrusive word here in bondservant, okay? The true word given in the, the original language there is the word slave. So Paul starts off here with the word slave. Uh, and it does, you know, it, 
it's good to be a student of Scripture and understand that that's what that word is truly meaning. It's not a bond servant. Okay, and we're going to get to that in your next question here in a second, what the difference between slave and servant is, okay? Um, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But the word slave um, is not referring to what we would think of Civil War slaves or even the slaves um, of Amazing Grace with John Newton, right? John Newton was a slave trader uh, and, and would go and capture men and bring them and, and, and sell them into slavery, all right? Uh, that is not the slavery that's referred to here. Uh, the people that Paul is writing to would be very familiar with the form of correct slavery that we just had mentioned where you sell yourself because of a debt or, or so on. It's not, this, it's not the slavery that we see from like Joseph in the Old Testament, right? This is not a correct form of slavery. Uh, this is not the slavery that is referring to this, I'm sold into slavery. It is a um, slavery that you sell yourself into uh, of your own volition, okay? Any, any questions or clarifications or any comments? Other comments there? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the word here that's used is doulos. That's the word for slavery in this. And when you bore, they actually would put their earlobe on the door um, casing, okay, and drive a nail through it. Not doesn't seem like the kindest thing in the world to do, but um, you would be willing enough to do that, and which means you are sealed to that slave owner for life, okay. And you would only do that. You're you're paid. Your penalty is paid. Uh, the only reason you would do that is because of your love for that master, right? Okay, so that's a, a good, um, good observation there, okay? Uh, what is the difference between a slave and a servant? Oftentimes we think of it, we want to say we're servants of Christ because that seems nicer, right? I don't want to be a slave, all right? We're servants of Christ. Well, what's the difference between a servant and a slave? Okay, tired. Has the ability to, does a slave have the ability to quit and say, I'm out of here, I've had it. No, you're a slave. <laughs> you can say it, but we'll catch you and bring you back and put you in chains if we have to, right? You are enslaved. A servant goes home. All right, so doulos is the word for slave, all right? And there's, and I don't know, I'm not going to try to, because uh, I'm not a Hebrew and Greek person. So uh, there's another word, that we're, the word that we get, and that is the word servant, and that is somebody that is a servant. So they wait on tables, uh, they come clean your house, they, whatever, you know, encompasses a servant, but it's something they get paid to do. Uh, they go home at night, they, uh, they have the freedom, they can uh, go work for someone. If they don't like this person, they can quit and go work somewhere else. That's a servant, okay? Uh, the, the, so we are not to have the mindset that we are servants of Christ. Because what does that give us the freedom to do? Well, I don't really care what, I don't really care for what he's teaching here, so I'm going to go serve this person over here. No, we are to have the mindset of Christian is of a slave. We are bound as a slave would be to a slave owner. And Paul uh, gets into that giving the difference between the two slaves, okay? Uh, we see in other places, and I believe it's in the book of Matthew, Paul talks about we cannot serve, I taught on it on Sunday, right? We cannot serve two different masters, right? So Jesus talks about that. You cannot serve man and God, okay? 
Here Paul is giving the same idea. Do you not know, this is another forceful phrase, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? Okay, other of sin resulting in death. So when you are enslaved into sin, it results into death. Or of obedience resulting in righteousness. The obedience would be obedience of faith in Christ results in righteousness. But thanks be to God that through that though you were slaves to sin, he. Uh, you became obedient from the heart. What, what do we believe Paul is getting at when he says, thanks be to God, for one, that when you were slaves to sin, you became obedient uh, un, um, from the heart. What is, what is the, the idea by Paul? What do we think? Yeah, it's obedience of faith, really. Okay, it's an obedience of faith. It's a, uh, it's still a work of God. because <clears throat> okay? it says, "Thanks be to God." Okay, obedient from the heart to that form of teaching. Okay, the form of teaching that you have been committed to. So it's talking about Scripture that we come to the knowledge of God that we are transformed into Him from the heart. Okay. Thanks be to God that we were slaves to sin and now we're no longer. Having been freed, that's verse 18. Okay, You were slaves to sin, but now because you became obedient from the heart and you're committed to the teaching, you have been freed from sin and being enslaved to righteousness. So, you were, you were up on the, the block and... Christ purchased you from slavery. Technically, you were not on a block. You were out in the field plowing away with a big smile on your face saying, hey, I'm enjoying my life as a sinner. And Christ came and snatched you out of that. Grabbed you out of the muck and the mire that you were in and brought you and freed you from that to be a slave to Him. I was talking with the Tyler and Jeremy this morning, and I, and I wrestled with this uh, a little bit um, as I was studying. You know, we make really, really, really good slaves to sin. We're actually experts at it, and we're 100% faithful to it before salvation, right? Outstanding slaves to sin. Because we could do nothing but that. And Christ freed us from that. Thanks be to God. Okay, He freed us to make us slaves to righteousness. We are to consider ourselves just as much a slave to righteousness as we were to sin. We, are, we have a gracious master that understands we are going to sin, but we should no longer sell ourselves to the master of sin and be slaves to him. We, sh- we have given ourselves to the master, and we should give ourselves to the slavery of righteousness. Okay, verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Really, that doesn't need much uh, explaining there, okay? We, we weaken our flesh. We don't have the mental capacity to understand the things of God. And so Paul is basically saying, I'm dumbing this down. I'm bringing you down to the lowest level as I can to really make sure that you understand what I'm saying, okay? Oftentimes, Paul, even Peter says, Paul is confusing. And so, he's trying here not to be confusing. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to dumb this down for you. Okay? The weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members to slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in the further lawlessness. So, now, okay, so this is your former life. 
Your former life, you were members, your slaves were in, uh, in complete lawlessness, and that resulted in further lawlessness. All you could do is sinful lawlessness. You were just wicked. So now, in the same way, that's the idea. So now present yourself members uh, as slaves, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So what Paul is driving us to, to understand and really grasp is before you were saved, you were sold out to sin. Now that you're saved, you need to be sold out for righteousness and cross. You were completely enslaved in sin. And, and it further, uh, it, it just... More you sinned, it further and deep uh, it got you deeper into lawlessness. In the same way that you were then, you should be now unto righteousness. You should be the same slave, but unto righteousness. So the the slave that you were to Satan is the slave you should be to Christ. Completely utterly sold out to him as a result will be sanctification you will grow in that sanctification you will grow in the knowledge of god and you will you will be more like christ the more you are enslaved enslaved to him and rightly live uh, your life as a slave to him it's the knowledge that we have of slavery that really will help us understand and give us a deeper understanding of how we should live as Christians. Paul is literally saying you should live the same passion that you lived for sin is the same passion you should live for righteousness in God. Do we, do we see that in that verse 19? Is that making sense? That the same passion we had for sin as a, as a slave to sin is the same that we should have when we walk for Christ and, and when we live out our Christian life. And this results in sanctification. Results in godly living. Yeah. Same passion, different master. One master desires destruction for your life, desires for you to only live in wickedness. The other master desires holiness and, and love and compassion for your life and, and gives you the um, new life and gives you eternal life. And again, this is all a work of God, okay? Um, but because it talks about sanctification, this is the aspect of the personal growth of the Christian. Okay? This is not the sanctification that we're given immediately as a believer. This is that ongoing, continual growth of sanctification that we're all different in. You know, and, and in my life, some days, uh, I'm a really good slave. And in other days, I'm a poor, really, really bad slave. Okay? And we need to endeavor as believers to be the best slave to Christ as we can be. Completely sold out to Him because of the Master that He is for us. Your last two blanks there... Um, probably are pretty obvious. Are we slaves to sin? Or are we slaves to Christ? Whose slave are you? Um, as a believer, um, we want to understand that we, we can still um, get ourselves back into the bondage of sin. Okay? That doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. Or that we can flip-flop between being saved and unsaved. Okay, That's not what this is teaching. But we can sell ourselves back into this idea of habitual sin. 
and, and rob ourselves of being the slave that we should to Christ. And Christ in his love and his mercy and his grace is always there. And we are the ones that pull ourselves away from him. And what Paul is driving at is this should not be what characterizes the Christian's life. We should not sin just because we're saved now and we have what we would call fire insurance, right? No longer am damned to hell. I'm no longer worried about that. So yeehaw, let the party roll. That, that's not at all what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, be very careful of this mindset. It's a dangerous, bad mindset. And that we should be completely sold uh, into slavery to Christ and forsaking the slavery that we had under sin. Okay? Any last comments or questions? Uh, we've got like one minute. Yeah, and the more that we the more that we fully understand our sin and our grossness of sin to God's nostrils, the more that our desire will be. I I, I heard uh, uh, Billy Graham um, whenever he would go to the crusades and so on, and he would stay the night in a hotel. His understanding of sin. And the, the desire of sin in his life, what the first thing he would do when he walked into a hotel room, it was he'd go in and get a towel and he'd stick it over the TV and put his Bible on top of it. Emphasizing, I don't want to be a slave to my flesh and to sin. And I know that if I turn that TV on, there's a possibility that I'll see and watch things I shouldn't. Okay, now, and I'm not saying that if you go to a hotel room and don't do it, that's not what I'm saying. But we understand, you know, that's the way in which Graham uh, dealt with that struggle and said, I'm just not going to even allow it to be one. That is understanding that I am slave to Christ and I am going to completely please him and take away the ability to not uh, and as much as he can. Okay? And so the more we understand the difference between grace and our sin, and what grace is there for, it is not there to give us the license to sin. It is there to free us from sin, and it's God's favor to us so that we, do not, we are not under the penalty of sin. But it does not give us that free license to sin. And we should enslave ourselves to Christ in so much that we don't, do anything unless we know it's going to please Him. Now, are we going to fail at that? Yes. But our desire goal is to constantly please Him as a slave. Not as a servant, but as a slave sold out to Him. Okay? Amen. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the pictures that we see in Your Word and the, the real... Uh, insight to how we should live and how we can grow in our sanctification to you. And Lord, I pray that as believers in this class, that we would uh, be uh, outstanding slaves to you. Slaves that uh, would picture what we should as believers. And Lord, that we would no longer sell ourselves back to our old way of living but sell ourselves to the new way, which is righteousness. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, what you show us in Scripture. In your name, amen.